really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. As always, I'm your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm on the dumpster fire known as Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. I'm also on threads under the same moniker. In fact, it's hard to discern the, the difference between the two this early on, but man, oh man, the sight of that black X just bums me out. So I had to do something. Uh, I've also signed up for Mastodon. So stay tuned for more on that. Still trying to figure out the nuances for that thing. Uh, additionally, if it's easier, you can always go the old fashioned route and just drop me an email at the scrum of the earth at gmail.com. So we were back to a full, full slate of rugby this weekend. We might end up going a minute or two long this week, but I'm, I'm determined to keep it reasonable. So let's get the show going. So starting as always with our current updates, you know what, things are about to get a little complicated here at the Scrum of the Earth compound of Nonsense Emporium. Uh, regular listeners will, of course, recall that my partner is a card-carrying equity actor, uh, which has always been her greatest passion, of course. COVID really threw a monk into, uh, monkey wrench into the theater scene. I mean, along with every other scene, I suppose. So it's been a while since she's had a role to look forward to. That has changed as she's been cast in a production of The Taming of the Shrew. I know what you're thinking, and no, she's not playing the shrew. Uh, Shakespeare has always been her particular area of expertise. She's part of a resident acting company for a fantastic organization based in Boston. So it's going to be amazing for her to get back on the stage. I can't wait to see her. Um, anyone who's even semi-local, by the way, feel free to reach out for details. If you're in the market for great theater, I will be happy to share. Anyway, why does that make things complicated? Well, simply because that means five out of seven nights for the next few months, I'll be on solo dad duty. Uh, it may impact the, the pod schedule, probably not, as I typically record after my son's bedtime anyway, but I will try to give you all a heads up, you know, if any changes are afoot. I'm frantically Googling the phrase, cheap or free things to do with kids, in an effort to figure out, you know, how we can amuse ourselves all these okay. upcoming evenings. So that is another good reason for you to get in touch. Any ideas for cheap fun, you know what, please send them my way. All gods know I can use them. It's stupid! It's stupid! People have to know! Well, Isa, I would have thought it was perfectly fine news, but I, I guess I'm not Irish. So quoting here from, <laughs> hold on, I have to try not to laugh here. Quoting from Rugby Dump, <laughs> Ireland will be, uh, quote, Ireland will be featuring the players' names on the back of their shirts for the first time in history as they take on Italy at the Aviva Stadium this coming Saturday night. That was, of course, a couple of days ago. The IRFU head of commercial, Jessica Long, announced, quote, as we count down towards the opening game of the Nation Series this Saturday, we're excited to announce that players' names will be on our new Canterbury match kit for the first time during the series. We hope this will help further engage new audiences by increasing player recognition, unquote. Uh, fans <laughs> have not been so welcome of this change, however, with one person saying, I love the way they're just like one person, uh, said, quote, 
We don't need to copy the English in everything they do. Rugby is a team sport and not a game of individuals. It's important to try and retain some of the sport's uniqueness, unquote. Another added, quote, terrible idea. It puts the emphasis on the individual and not on the team. I hope they drop the idea as soon as possible. This ain't soccer, unquote. The IRFU have not confirmed whether they will continue this effort beyond the series. But judging by the comments, the fans will need some convincing, unquote. So... There's more to it, by the way, and you can find the link as always in the show notes. As an American, I'm I, I'm still amazed at how controversial this is, like at all. I, I obviously just don't get it. Like the number on the jersey, I, I understand. Okay, the, the the number of the jersey isn't yours in the same way it is for like an NBA player, but it does make a ton of sense in terms of marketing. But more importantly, I've mentioned this before, the possibilities for trolling seem endless. Like I, for instance, would strongly consider buying an Edinburgh number 10 jersey with Healy across the back if I thought I was going to see any Munster fans around. And sticking with Edinburgh, you know, so this is a tiny, tiny sample of the possibilities. I could buy two separate Kinghorn jerseys, one with 10 on it, and one with 15 on it, and just always wear the opposite one to whichever the spot they had him playing that week. Purchasing team merch purely for the sarcasm seems like life's noblest calling let's get it together people come on so thoughts of the week and my thoughts this week are actually with my beloved usa eagles as well as a whole raft of free jacks players who are down in new zealand to experience a whole new brand of rugby first of all mitch wilson among other mlr star mlr stars will start this week of course did start this weekend against romania I love how the guy improves every single year. Like he was awesome for us the season before last. And then he went out, you know, and went through the ringer of the World Cup repechage, came back even better. He absolutely slaughtered it this year. And now he's going to go play all over the world against even stiffer competition. So I anticipate an MVP caliber season with the Free Jacks next year. Speaking of Free Jacks, you will see them popping up all over the NPC this weekend, particularly on Manawatu. Uh, we've got players who are going to slot right into starting roles and others who will, you know, will have made the move to New Zealand as developmental players. I'm really hoping that people like local favorite Cam Davidowitz uh, can get a lot out of the experience. It's going to be an amazing summer for him. The good news for the listeners is I've arranged to interview several of our incredible players. <laughs> Though Working out the 16-hour time difference is definitely a challenge. However, be on the lookout for chats with LaRue Milan, who is currently on tour with Namibia, and Connor Keyes, who is touring Fiji and the Pacific Islands with Team Canada. Mitch Wilson has also agreed to come on the show after these three weekends with the Eagles, Joel Hintz will be checking in from Hawks Bay and new head coach for the Manawatu Turbos, Mike Rogers, will also be returning to the show in the coming weeks. Keep an eye out wherever you're getting the socials this, this summer. It's going to be an incredible lead up to the Rugby World Cup. Okay, that of course brings us to our reviews for the weekend. And there were some truly amazingly exciting we uh, matches this weekend. We're going to start with the men's internationals, beginning with Manu Samoa taking on Tonga, a team that has perhaps benefited most from the new residency requirements slash guidelines. Uh, both sides, you know, when you look at the lineups, they look pretty stacked. Um, during the anthems, it was like, oh, yeah, that guy. And oh, my word, they got that guy. It was a phenomenally gorgeous day out, of course, which in a way contrasted the lackluster broadcast. Not a great one. It kind of made the MLR look like 
uber pro. Um, but you could tell it was crushingly hot out because everyone there was at the very back of each stand, just in the shade, using flags and banners for sun umbrellas. Um, there were also quite a bit of audio issues throughout, around a quarter hour in, between the you know milk toasty comms and the abominable audio quality. I wrote, "Sounds like they put clinically depressed people into a tin can." Um, Samoa, they were the better team in this one, especially over the full course of the game. Though it was only 13 to nine headed into the lockers, 25 minutes into the second half, it was 34 to nine. And by the final whistle, it was still 34 to nine. Um, a lot of people have been talking up this Tonga team with all the stars they're expecting for the world cup. But right now, you know what? They're a bit of a mess. So New Zealand, of course, back in Dunedin to face a floundering Australia, Oh my word, could this have started any better for the Aussies? So, uh, I don't know if this is a side note or not, but I, I gotta say, I do, as you know, root for the All Blacks. They were sort of my gateway into the sport. They were the first team I ever watched. And of course, you know, it makes fandom a lot easier when you're a front runner. Um, but since discovering them, of course, I've very much leaned into rooting for underdogs. But when it comes down to the highest levels of this game, I'm definitely rooting for the Kiwis. That being said, I hate the fact that the Wallabies haven't won a single match in the Aotearoa since 2001. So when they get off to a quick start, it just really spices up my weekend, you know? Anyway, as I said, Australia had a dream of a first half. I mean, they were everywhere. The defense was at an all-time sort of level. They had so much confidence on attack. It was exactly the display I, I feel like we should expect from one of the few countries to have actually won a World Cup. Even Eddie Jones looked, for him at least, semi-happy in the booth. And it was a shocking 3-17 to 17 at the break. The crowd at packed Forsyth Bar, deathly quiet. Cool side note here, I watched this one with my son, with whom I was building a Ninjago Lego set. And getting to chat with him about what we were watching was super fun. I think he's slowly gaining some love for rugby, though seeing these enormous people smash into each other definitely freaks him out a bit. Uh, but having my little buddy going, no, when the Wallabies score, I mean, that is just an incredibly heartwarming thing. It's it's fun also to answer all his questions as if I actually know what I'm talking about. That's always a bonus. So much as you'd expect, the second half was an entirely different animal. The Aussies misfiring and making mistakes left and right as New Zealand dug in and found their collective groove. In the final quarter of play, the ABs secured their first lead of the day, going up 20-17. to 17. The Australian sphincter was making a loud squeaking noise as it tightened up, culminating with Eddie Jones again being caught on camera, smashing random bits of equipment in front of him. And I guess this is like a, a side note inside a side note. Seeing Eddie Jones smashing things in the booth somehow makes me sad. Like traditionally, he's been someone who just never gets rattled. So seeing him absolutely lose it on television just feels like watching an old man having a hissy fit in public. Like you rubberneck it, but you feel bad the whole time. Anywho. Quade Cooper made a difficult kick to level the score. We were in for an amazing ending. New Zealand and Australia locked at 20 apiece as we counted down with under 10 minutes to go. But then, oh my word, it was Richie Mwanga, the comms, decrying the difficulty of the angle, slotting one with pure ease. With less than a minute to go, the Kiwis had again found ascendancy. What a freaking game. It was Will Skelton, though, who somehow... Didn't have the backing of Aussie fans until like a week or so ago, making a mighty effort over the breakdown, so close to getting a potentially game-winning turnover, but his efforts went awry. The ABs were ecstatic 
to kick it into touch, to close the books. An incredible contest. The talking points this week practically write themselves. 23 to 20 was your final score. What a game. So back in the Northern Hemisphere, a much-changed Scotland team welcomed France to noxious gas Murray Field. It was a good stat they showed right up front that the Scots were historically up over France, at least at home. 27-1 and 20 was the record. I had no idea. So in the lead-up, my friends over at the Scottish Rugby Podcast, just a couple of days before this game, they dared to opine, quote, this is a game Scotland should win, unquote, which frankly shocked me to the core. But... On the day when I saw the absolute, you know, B-side fielded by the French, I realized, oh, yeah, yeah, this was this was very much a win or just give up type match for the Scots. It was so good to have Duhan back, who looked like he hadn't missed a beat. Uh, perhaps most importantly, though, I think you all know, Finn was back at the wheel, captaining his team for the very first time. And I, I mean, it's just hard to imagine a player I enjoy watching more than Finn. If there's any chance at all you missed the recent Squidge video highlighting Finn and what he does for the Scottish attack, I mean, you know what? Just pause this nonsense right now and go watch it. It's so good. Honestly, it ramped up my, not just my appreciation, I guess, but also my understanding of what Finn brings to the table. I swear he's still getting better even now. Like right now, as I'm talking, he all of a sudden got better. So I didn't take many notes for this one, so I'm going to rely on the Guardian a bit here. Quote, Fabian Galtier's largely second-choice 15 scored three tries through a classic blend of precision, speed, and power. After halftime, a pulsating recovery saw Scotland claw back an 18-point deficit and ultimately demonstrate the killer instinct that has so often eluded them. Gregor Townsend's men passed the ball with speed and vision, even making light of a second-half red card for Xander Ferguson, the first player to be sent off by the new bunker review system. The Props World Cup availability is now in doubt. And worryingly for Townsend, his first choice scrum half, Ben White, was left nursing a bandaged ankle after an overeager tackle, unquote. So it was definitely a near thing, but I don't know. There was something in the air at the noxious gas. And and by the way, it was 25 to 21 for Scotland. Uh, are, are France just kind of insidiously instilling false hope around the world? Like, is this just a setup for people to stop talking about the mighty cock sportif in order to just take some of the mounting pressure that accompanies a home world cup, just take it right off them. I mean, well, probably not, but it's a good conspiracy theory and it's going to be a fun, like five weeks of speculation in the lead up. That is for sure. I will be happy to lead that charge. So next on the docket, Wales hosted arch rivals, England. And I want to mention, so I published a little poll on X or whatever they're freaking calling it. Um, just asking which international this weekend would be the game of the week. And I left this one off of it entirely. Why? Well, Wales are a dumpster fire and I hate England. So who cares, right? But someone, and I apologize, I'm totally blanking who it was right now, but someone said none of the matches you listed are the match of the week because Wales versus England is the match. And I don't know. I, I really appreciated that. Like historically, this one had to be way up on the scale. And that reply sort of just inspired me to watch more closely and just really take it more seriously than I had planned to do, I guess. So thank you for that. So the last time these teams met in Wales, it was February of this year. England won pretty handily, if I remember correctly, but over their storied history in Wales, at least the Welsh had won 39 versus 24 for the English, the sides drawing four times. 
And I was just hoping we'd have a good one to add to the annals this evening. It was 100 caps for Lee Halfpenny on the night. There was admittedly a, a real buzz about the proceedings, maybe due to the uncertainty surrounding both of these teams, you know, enigmatic and troubled, despite the long shadows of rugby history. <laughs> Clearly, I was pretty keyed up. So the first half, however, offered little in terms of excitement. No tries scored a kicking battle led by Marcus Smith as we reached six to nine right on halftime. Uh, pardon me. Last, uh, Like I said last week, after watching Scotland versus Italy, just... Neither of these teams looked anywhere near where they would need to be to have a fighting chance against a team like New Zealand. From what I watched just earlier today, it's it's like an entirely different sport. The the sharpness is just not there at all. I, I know these warm-up matches are curiosities, I guess, more than anything, but my ideas about how the Rugby World Cup will, will unfold have been shifting quite a bit over the last few weeks. So 47 minutes was when, when we got our first try of the night. It went to Wales. It was 13 to 9, and when George North slipped through untouched, life for the English squad suddenly looked very complicated. The comms had just finished talking about what a catastrophe it would be for England to lose to Wales at a time like this, and I was officially super psyched. Entering the final quarter, it was 20 to 9. It was a nail biter. I always think if you're down by more points than you've actually scored all day in the fourth quarter, you're about to lose. But. On the other hand, I mean, let's face it, England are a perpetually good team. 11 points really shouldn't be a problem for them unless there's, you know, a problem. And uh, when they showed the stat of England's 14 handling errors, you had to start to wonder about that. So then, magically, the Lewis Salmon try got overturned. It was it was crazy. In the moment that he appeared to score it, I was like, no way did he get that down. But then you watch the replay. And it was obvious he did get it. And then they overturned it. Test rugby, man. It's a roller coaster. The th uh, they did that thing where they sort of show some other angles we hadn't even seen before, immediately after the call is made. And yeah, it, it was absolutely a try. It was definitely a try. So fortunately for Wales, there were maybe four and a half minutes remaining and they were still up 11. So it looked like a nice ending for Gatlin's side. More question marks for the Borthwick bunch. 20 to 9 was, in fact, your final score. Wow. Next, of course, a Sexton-free Ireland. We're at home at the Aviva to take on Italy. And you know what? I'm just going to admit it. I was just not invested in this game. <laughs> it went pretty much exactly the way you'd think, with Ireland eventually winning by almost double. Italy showed some signs, just as you would expect, but Ireland, they're too powerful and too clinical for it to ever have really been in doubt. I enjoyed seeing uh, Jacob Stockdale out there. I always liked him before he completely fell off the face of the earth. I'm not sure he'll ever be back to the you know the form he had a, a few years ago, but it's just good to see him at least getting a sniff for the Ireland squad. This made it 15 consecutive home wins for the Irish as they ran in five tries to win 33 to 17. Italy have only won once ever in Dublin, and that was in 1997, which happens to be the same year that Paolo Odogwu, the first time in, uh, for him in the Azuri squad, was born. Um, he's just always such a fun player to watch. I, I'm really glad he's found a home at the international level, since obviously England aren't calling him anytime soon. Ireland win again. Ho-hum. Argentina, of course, were back at home this time, hosting South Africa, and truth be told, I was still building that cool sort of Lego set with my son as I had this one on in the background. So 
don't really have any notes. Uh, it wasn't a high-scoring affair, uh, just two tries to one in favor of the visitors. To the credit of Los Pumas, after three quarters, it was very much anyone's game. It was only the boot of LeBoc that put this one away for the Springboks as he slotted three penalties just between the 60th and 72nd minute, giving us a rather mundane 13-24 to win in Buenos Aires. Uh, the Boff, of course, he was perfect off the tee, but other than that, I don't know, a bit of a loss uh, for things to say about this one. I do think there are plenty of work-ons for the Rainbow Nation, though, before this thing in France kicks off in just about four and a half weeks. Okay, next up, I'm very happy to say that my beloved USA Eagles were in Romania for a summer test, and thank all gods, it was carried on the rugby network. Thank you, guys. Uh, it was a pretty good crowd on hand in Bucharest. It was gratifying to see us score the first try of the match. I... I had to assume we were underdogs for this one. Uh, quoting here from the Goff Report, quote, a torrid first half in which they dominated possession and field position saw the USA men's 15s team to a big lead and set the Eagles up for a 31-17 to victory over Romania on a very hot Saturday evening in Bucharest. In this, the first game of a three-match tour of Europe, the USA saw nine players earn their first caps the lineup was much changed from last year, in part due to overseas professional clubs not having to release their players for international call-ups. Regardless, some of the debutants showed very well, and the USA set-piece, especially in the first three quarters of the match, dominated, unquote. My Eagles, they scored four tries and were awarded another for Romania uh, collapsing the ball. That was a nice little penalty try with Luke Cardi converting three of the four on offer. Dylan Fawcett, he also had, of course, a strong showing for the USA. This was a very promising start to our summer tour. Let's go Eagles. Also this weekend, we had Japan home for Fiji, Uruguay hosting Namibia and Chile versus an Argentina 15. But none of these matches were available here, sadly. So Japan, they lost pretty badly to Fiji. It was 12-35. to 35. Los Terros uh, laid down a marker against Namibia, 26-18. to 18. I guess not that bad. Chile, they got fairly smashed by what I'm calling the Pumacitos. It was 13-40 uh, to 40 in the international action. Okay, that brings us back around to the FPC. It was round four of the Fair Palma Cup. The, the weekend kicked off with Taranaki at home for the Tasman Mako, and it was, well, it was not a good start to the round. Uh, Taranaki were completely outclassed in every phase. It quickly turned into an absolute butt whooping. It was 3-27 to at the break and 10-61 to by the end. A complete dominance by the Mako. Uh, a bright spot among many on their team was Sarah Jones, who they said was just 15 years old, but playing like an experienced pro. She's got an incredible future ahead of her for sure. They later referred to her as being 16, and they, they never seemed really fully sure about it. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe she aged a year after the incredible tackle she put in at one stage. But either way, she's a kid, and she's already tearing it up. Next up, it was Auckland Storm versus the Bay of Plenty Volcanics, or as I call them, the boop, Volcanics. Uh, I actually accidentally came in very late for this one. But in fact, Ruahe Demant was slotting a difficult penalty just as I started watching, putting the score at an embarrassing 54-14 to 14 with just the final quarter to play. It didn't get much better for the Volcanics. And with the clock approaching 80, the ref was like, you know what? That's close enough, and just sort of called full time on an 80 point contest. The home, despite it being like 
minute 79 and 12 seconds or something. Anyway, the home team wiping the floor with their guests 61 to 19. Yikes. Two matches and two teams scored 61 points. Come on. Surely nobody else would join them. No, they didn't. So Waikato women versus counties Monaco heat. That was another one I came into a pretty late. Um, it was almost the opposite though of the previous match points. Very rare right towards the end. Big decision for Waikato. They were up just 10 to 5 with a penalty in their favor. So kicking to the corner could flatter the scoreline while taking the points would deny counties a losing bonus point. Actually kind of felt like a no-brainer to me. But anyway, Waikato, they somehow detected my thoughts, went for the three, slotting all three of them despite a difficult angle. But with the clock past 80, the ref decided, you know what, there's time for another play. One thing I've noticed about the FPC, the game clock and the referee's watch are never one and the same. It's a it's a bit wonky. So anyway, if the host had known that wasn't going to be the last play of the night, would they have still gone for the three? Either way, double whistle came soon enough. It was 13 to 5 for your final score. The Northland women versus Otago Spirit was next on my list. It was a perfect day for a match. A nice crowd had showed up to enjoy the battle of the beautiful blue kits. I honestly can't pick between them. Uh, so the home team, they struck first, second, and third before Otago find, found an answer. By the way, have you seen the Northland mascot? Because it's a dragon, and I love it. So it was 28 to 12 at the break. The Spirit did a good job sort of hanging around for a while, but in the end, Northland were too much for them to, but, but, to the tune of more than 2 to 1. Uh, at the final whistle, it was 42 to 20. You should have seen the celebrations at the end. This is a very fun team. Their attitude is so infectious. I hope to see some more great results from them this year. So Wellington Pride versus Hawks Bay Tui and North Harbor Hibiscus versus the Manawatu Cyclones. Oh, I love them. Uh, they were our final two fixtures this weekend. I'm afraid I just didn't have time to watch either of these. But in the first fixture, of course, Wellington were overcome by their guests, 22 to 33. And in the second, the Cyclones continued to look strong in a 9 to 57 beatdown on the road. So quick update to finish us off. Um, only three teams have played all four matches this year. One of which the Waikato women is undefeated with the other, while the other two are winless. That's Wellington. And of course the boop, Volcanics, uh, the Cyclones are the other undefeated team at 3-0, while North Harbor and Taranaki are sitting on goose eggs. Everybody else, you know what? They're kind of in the middle. Okay, that brings us, my friends, to the NPC. And at long last, the National Provincial Championship kicked off this weekend with a full slate. I was definitely more excited than I guess I should have been. I've only been watching this, the NBC for like a couple of seasons, but I just love it. And with all the cross-pollination between it and the MLR, I mean, it's like a double bag of fun. So Tasman versus Otago got things started, but both sides began the year with some injury concerns, the biggest of which might be Mitch Hunt, who has a hamstring issue that looks like it will keep him out the whole year. Not good news. On the other side of that coin, several players were getting back on the field after long absences. So we also saw the debut of Waisaki Naholo for Otago, but he had to leave the field after just 16 minutes with a ding of his own. Man, oh man, for a 10-game competition, they seem to have more than their fair share of injuries. And we were, of course, only a quarter hour into the season. Either way, Tasman, they struck first and led going into the break, but both sides seem to have trouble shaking off the rust. 
things got a little smoother in the second half. The home team started to find some separation, but Otago kept finding a way to hang around. Uh, Teva Tevanawai, who I think of as just a menace on offense, he showed his ferocity on the other side of, of the ball, forcing some key turnovers. And with a 12-point lead and under five minutes remaining, it looked like the Mako would be our first winners of the new season. Jonah Narecki showed flashes of brilliance for Otago, but continues to be inconsistent. I've, I feel like he just sort of tries too hard. His his physical abilities are unreal, but he, he often seems to like try to do everything on his own. And he ends up isolated or just gives away silly turnovers. He's a player I would love to see put it all together one day. So 12 points was where the lead would remain at Trafalgar Park. The Tasman Mako winning their opening contest 27 to 15 by the end to kick off our new year. So Taranaki versus Counties Monaco was next. It was a very cool feeling to have Jason Potras and Jesse Parete not just playing, but starting. I'm glad they decided to come over to the MLR to, you know, up their skill sets. <laughs> but seriously, the, the comms sounded amazed at some of the, the things that Potty was doing out there, specifically singled out the pest for having, quote, a whale of a game as well, unquote. Uh, it's, it's just weirdly gratifying to see Free Jacks tearing it up out in the wild. In any event, it was a close one with the Bulls trying to hold on to a five-point lead with about, you know... It, 30 minutes to go. Um, you could tell fitness for this opening weekend was definitely going to play a big factor as substitutes came in, quote, thick and fast, unquote, as they announced. Uh, the home side kept edging out further before counties would mount a charge and start to catch up. But in the end, Taranaki, they were just too much for them, too much firepower. They'd take their opening home match. It was 37 to 29. Side note, Perfetta, who's usually class off the tee, missed almost everything today. So, you know what, guys? You know who you might actually want kicking for you? Yeah, Jason can do it. Look at the stats, y'all. Check it out. So, up next, it was Manawatu versus Wellington. Go Turbos! Uh, I was <laughs> obviously pretty excited for this one. Bodine Waka and Slade McDowell both got starts in this one. But it was going to be a tall order for Mike Rogers' boys, Wellington, the current owners of the Renfrewley Shield, as well as the actual NPC Championship title, a title they have held with some regularity, to be fair. Uh, meanwhile, Manawatu, they were coming off a entirely winless season. Sure, they've they've got a slew of good new players, but so did their guests, and in Wellington's case... They had a lot more experience together as a group. Could be in for some growing pains, Mike Rogers' group. So Wellington, as the com, uh, the, uh, the com said, quote, threw everything and the kitchen sink, unquote, at the turbos. But their defense, it, it, it proved pretty good. The, the home team were holding on nicely, down just three. Uh, despite only 31% possession and 29% territory, this with a half hour gone. On the other hand, ah, oh, walks. He went down and had to leave pretty early on. That's... That's ominous for sure. I, I don't have any follow-up about that yet. Believe me, I am looking and trying to find out, and I will let you know as soon as I can. The comms were falling all over themselves with praise as Manawatu tied things up with less than two minutes to go in the opening period, shouting, Take a bow, Manawatu! And, oh, okay, let's chill, shall we? Uh, sure enough, Brett Cameron's second successful kick gave the home team a three-point edge at halftime. I was seriously worried that there would be at least a couple heart attacks in the media booth based on what I was hearing from them up there. Anyway, 
During the third quarter, Wellington, they tied things up, but still couldn't pull ahead despite sort of dominating the numbers. But I got a little worried when I noticed the Turbo's replacement scrum half was sporting not just a mullet, not just a mullet and a porn stash, but a mullet and a porn stash and a rat's tail to boot. Like it was like Kid Rock's high school yearbook out there. Uh, it looked certain the visitors were on their way to the first try of the night when, yet again, the Manawatu defense came up huge and got a turnover when they most needed it. I, I know Mike just got there, but I simply choose to believe that he's already got his team believing in ways they didn't last year. The signs were all there, as was the attitude. Sadly, Wellington, they found another three soon after, and then, to no one's surprise, it was Umaga Jensen breaking through to nab the game's first try. Man, man, he is good. Suddenly it was 6-16 with just the final 10 minutes remaining. Really brain-dead move then by Josh, uh, I think it's Taula for the Turbos, just cleaning out the Wellington 9 for no other reason than maliciousness. He got shown red for it, deservedly so. The champs would make them pay, winning 6-22 to open the season. Some positive takeaways for Mike Rogers' side for sure, but not good enough just yet. So not going to lie, there was simply not enough time to catch all the action this weekend, so I had to reluctantly skip a a few of these, uh, much like the last two games in the FPC. That means Northland versus Canterbury, Bay of Plenty versus Auckland, or boop versus Auckland, and Hawks Bay versus North Harbor. They all fell to the cutting floor, uh, so to speak, but I did go get those scores for you. Of course, uh, Northland got thumped by Canterbury, 11-43, to boop. Got edged out by Auckland. It was 30 to 32. Ooh, and Hawks Bay just snuck past North Harbor by the exact same margin, 23 to 21. A really lovely opening weekend in the NPC. And finally, lest you think we were all done, I did save the Sunday game as sort of a special treat to myself, mostly because it was Southland versus Waikato, which meant a chance to watch Mitch Jacobson back in action after scoring our opening try in the Free Jacks win over San Diego in the MLR Championship Final. Did I mention at any point that my beloved Free Jacks won the MLR Shield this year? Yeah, I might have. Sadly, Southland... uh, they weren't very good last year. They don't appear to be much better this year. Waikato, they raced out to a two-try lead within just six minutes. This one had all the hallmarks, uh, hallmarks of a blowout. As we hit the uh, the thirty-three, uh, 33rd minute, the comms mentioned that Waikato had gotten into the Southland 22, 16 times already at that stage, while the Stags had invaded the that area for their visitors exactly zero times before that very moment yikes uh to be fair that was a bit of a turning point and when we reached half time it was a far more reasonable 11 to 26 very bad news for waikato as josh Iwane, he left the field and i'm told was taken to the hospital they were speculating about a broken arm i certainly hope it was just precautionary uh, in the more immediate bad news department the home team went on quite a bit of a tear and we're suddenly down just five as the third quarter wound down the stags would get no closer however with waikato's only points of the half coming from a penalty kick with the clock gone red denying southland a losing bonus point in closing out round one 21 to 29 phew
Well, by that music, you will know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. This week, the award goes to Jesse the Pest Parete. Mr. Parete, I've been trying to find, find a game where I can give you this award for like two straight seasons because I love what you bring to the table every week. But sadly, MLR officials don't seem to quite agree with me. However, you're back at home, you're in your comfort zone, aka Yarrow Stadium. This weekend, you absolutely tore it up. Your relentless defense, your uncanny knack for winding up the opposition were both on full display, but you managed to keep it under wraps just enough that you didn't earn any 10 or 20 minute timeouts. Jesse Parate, the pest himself, congratulations to you, my friend, for this week. You are the diamond in the ruck. Well, done sir okay that brings us to our updates and previews we've got another whole swath of internationals coming this weekend in fact even before that canada traveled to tonga on wednesday i'd very much love to be able to see that one and of course, England will be taking on Wales at the Swinglow Stadium. France will be hosting Scotland in a game they're probably going to take a little bit more seriously. Georgia will be hosting Romania. My USA Eagles, they will be in Portugal. And finally, a clash I've definitely never seen before. It's Chile welcoming Namibia. Meanwhile, round five of the FPC brings us five Friday fixtures and one on Saturday. Those are Counties Monaco versus Auckland. The boop. Volcanics versus Wellington, Northland women versus Taranaki women, Otago versus North Harbor Hibiscus, Hawks Bay Tui versus the Canterbury women, and the Manawatu Cyclones versus the Tasman women. It's also round two of the NPC. And I kind of admit, I'm slightly confused because, I mean, you're all like, what? David's confused? Yeah, it, it happens. Uh, because this league is traditionally a 10 game competition. But when you look ahead right now, it says we're coming up on week two of nine. And the last fixture I can find is actually slated for September 30th. Can that be right? Either way, this weekend, at least, we will have seven weekend fixtures and then another, you know, Wednesday dealy. It's Counties versus Hawks Bay, then boop versus Waikato. It's Otago versus Wellington who I believe have their first three games on the road this year. Are they just kind of trying to hog that Ren Frehley shield? Then it's Tasman versus Auckland, a compass clash between Southland and Northland, Harbor versus Canterbury, and the Turbo Jacks will be at home for the pest-led Bulls from Taranaki. Wednesday puts Hawks Bay and Waikato on a short week watch, a phrase I literally invented just now. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. And holy cow, the rugby is back with a fury. You know, if you're one of the people who still haven't left a like a nice review or become a supporter or just reached out just to say hi, like, you know what? This week would be a great time for you to change that. I would love any of those things. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to listen. We just went over 12,000 listens just last week pretty cool stuff so to all of you across the globe 
Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well. <laughs>